You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Do you love horticulture? I mean, do you really love it with all of your heart? In this episode, you'll hear from three serious diehards that don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Yards is a Brizzy-based landscaping company that pretty much does it all, from design to construction to hort and turf maintenance. They're visiting their clients around the Manly area at least once per week, often multiple times per week with multiple different crews. What are they doing differently to what you're doing every day? Why is high-end landscape maintenance more lucrative than focusing on just design and construction? And what do they reckon that the rest of the industry is getting wrong? Ben is the business owner and designer. Amanda is the landscape construction expert, and Dale is the maintenance team leader. The team are looking for some new recruits, so check their vibe if you're in Brizzy. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Daniel. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Daniel. No worries. Sure. I'd like to get you to all maybe give us a bit of an introduction to you and the role that you play at Yards. Ben, can we start with you, mate? What do you do at Yards? So I started Yards back in 2005, uh, and we started very small. And we're still only small now. There's only 14 of us. But my role is to coordinate the team, work with the team, with our clients. Uh, And we did start off very much as a... Um, design and construct business and we have totally flipped that to um, predominantly maintenance and then design and construct within our existing maintenance um, client group so yeah if you had have said to me all those years ago will you be doing uh, maintenance I would have probably laughed and said no Mm. we uh, very much design and construct but um, opportunities come up and you know it was probably a really good turning point for for me and i've really enjoyed this transition into uh, maintenance because we've been able to look after gardens the way that we wanted to see them i still remember going and seeing some gardens that we designed and built and the fertilizer was still sitting in the packages all those um, (laughs) years later (laughs) Um, so now we have a bit more control i say um in in how that garden is managed okay i love that so that's really interesting i think a lot of people uh, landscapers they i don't want to say they put their nose up to it but there's almost this idea of like if you're going to move forward you're going to move into landscape construction but i think it's so awesome that you move the other way into maintenance because like without the proper maintenance it doesn't matter how good the des- or it all most of the time it doesn't matter how good the design is it's still going to fall apart mm. Mm. so amanda maybe you can tell us about your role within the organization because i think of yards as being like a maintenance company and certainly that's how ben has sort of um talked to me about the company he runs but you are actually come from a different part of the business I do, I do. I come from a construction background, um, although I did, obviously, I am certified in uh, horticulture and landscape design as well. So, but my passion obviously lies with 
construction and my role within the company is as the landscape project manager so I basically take care of uh, the smaller scale landscape construction that we do obviously we have a lot of fantastic contractors that we work with uh, for different elements within the garden but a lot of your smaller scale um, stuff so your edging um, retaining walls irrigation lighting all of that sort of stuff so um, yeah if we um, if we can do a garden that's basically um, a complete installation from the concept to the creation on a smaller scale then um, yeah that's me yeah, so we, we've always done landscaping, but right. in the last, oh, Amanda's been with us for a couple of years now, as it started off as a contractor, but, you know, we've always got landscape projects within our, our maintenance clients, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, changing a pathway or restoring a garden and installing garden lights or, you know, a client buys a new property, they want that landscape, they've had us at their previous place, so... Amanda, Amanda, and and Mark head up our landscape team, and they also work with other contractors that we have as well to to put them together. Okay, very good. So that makes sense. So you didn't completely give up the construction; you've just uh, focused more on the maintenance and then integrated the construction into that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that makes sense. And so, Dale, can you tell me a little bit about you and your role within the company? Yeah, so I'm a uh, maintenance uh, project manager uh, and I help help Ben uh, as best I can to coordinate the maintenance team um, and I also do all of the uh, training for new staff that come on and show them how yards do things and um, yeah, really, really enjoying that. I love training. Awesome. So, okay, I want to move on now to um, basically just like some of the things that contractors get wrong with maintaining turf. Yeah, with, with the, the turf, we actually have dedicated um, lawn care professionals that, that specialise. So we've got our lawn care is, is taken um, uh, on by our head greenkeeper, Damien, and and another greenkeeper, Matt. And they, they their primary, uh, primary role is, is, is lawn care. So, you know, they don't do garden maintenance. They're just there as our um, lawn care professionals. So... Consistency is the key. We only offer our services for for, uh, for lawn care on a weekly basis, and I think that's that's the key that has enabled us to very much focus on Amanda with the landscape team, Dale with the hort care, and Damien with the with the greenkeeping. So mm -hmm. quite quite different roles and, and different areas. So uh, while we all work together, we're we're quite separate in in each. Um, area as well yeah one of our um, recent guys who did a trial with us he couldn't believe that that's how we operated he said oh so many times i come uh, to to a job and you know i'm expected to mow the grass i'm expected to mm. prune i'm expected to you know install the pathway and the irrigation well, we we have it quite separate and it really works well Right, so that each person can be an, an expert in their particular field and nobody has to try and feel like they're covering everything. That's right, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Right. So I think people often underestimate maintenance. And I think, you know, there's this culture, especially in Australia, I don't know what it's like overseas, 
but certainly there's uh, maintenance is sort of seen as like, okay, whip, mow, blow, go, or maybe a bit of hedging and a bit of spraying. And is mm. that all that there is to garden maintenance, Dale? No, not at all. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that we're that we're looking at. Um, a lot of a lot of forward planning, forward pruning, uh, disease and pest management. Uh, we've got the fertilizer programs, uh, the irrigation programs, uh, and things that are constantly changing and evolving as well. Say, you may have irrigation working perfectly on a garden, and you've got full coverage, and all the plants are getting watered. And then six months later, they've become blocked because you've got the plants that are starting to grow on and block that irrigation. So, you know, looking at making sure those those types of plants are trimmed and maintained to to give you the irrigation you need. And uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of different things to look at and to to make a you know to make a garden perfect and and really good. Mm-hmm. And Amanda, can you tell me a little bit about how you marry the construction with the maintenance tasks that your teammates are going to have to take care of? Because I think, you know, a lot of construction landscapers, they don't have to deal with any of the consequences of some of their work. (laughs) That's true. No, that's true. So um, basically with uh, all of the yards designs, um, they come from Ben. So when you've got that great deal of experience and knowledge as to how you know, a, a successful garden, like a beautiful garden works, um, then that's pretty much a lot of the hard work done for us. So when we're uh, when we're doing the installation, I guess things like consistency, um, when you're installing things such as irrigation, um, you know, whether it's the lateral lines or, you know, location of controllers and, and your valve boxes and that sort of thing, if you keep them consistent across the designs, um, it usually makes it easier for the maintenance staff to take care of those small things. Uh, but, yeah, when it comes to the construction side, I think when you've got that that design behind you um, that can't fault because obviously it's based on a mature garden, then the maintenance staff, are, uh, you know, don't really come across too many issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that that's like, and, and it's so close to home as well, because it is your teammates who are doing it. Like these are the people who you're mm. having toolbox meetings with. So yeah, it's yeah. not just something that's yeah. out of sight, out of mind. No, that's right. And basically um, anything that we do, um, we do keep files of all of our construction process. So at any stage, if the guys wanted to um, jump into uh, jump on onto the drive and look back and go, oh hey, Amanda's installed, you know, such and such over here, all the makings and the foundations of the gardens, then they've got that information on hand, and or they just call us. So that is also you know the beauty of working within a team like that is if uh, if anything needs to be done construction wise that's halting or hindering a maintenance perspective, then we're on hand. Yeah, exactly. And I want to talk about that a little bit more as we go on in the episode too. So I, I, w- I walked into a garden this morning with Amanda and it's a garden that become very good friends with the clients. I haven't been there for, for a little bit of time. Um, it's been you know, getting maintained, um, but it has had so much growth. Um, and we, we're there on a weekly basis, or sorry, our team are there on a weekly basis. Um, but it was so good to see that garden because I remember what it was like before we started, before we even did the design. And there was one plant there and it was a, it was a complete heat sink of a garden uh, where you couldn't escape the sun. Right. And now 
we're trying to find the sun. Like we, we've got so much, um, so much canopy cover. It's, it's such a beautiful tropical oasis in there, this tiny little backyard down here in Manly in Brisbane. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see. And, and if we didn't maintain it um, on a regular basis, <laughs> I'd, you know, I'd hate to see what it would look like. You, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic little bayside garden. Um, so it's literally so just an, an open backyard, um, clean clean slate to start with. So a little um, a little dive pool went in, and then obviously the planting process around that. So a, a really mature pandanus was brought in there, giving it a real tropical feeling. So a lot of the plants and that kind of thing are, are layered. Um, and it just creates a lot of privacy within this backyard. So it's it's basically gone from just your your standard backyard, which is getting all your full sun and everything like that, and to uh, a bit of a tropical oasis. And I would say, besides the pool and a path um, and a patio area, it's all it's all greenscape. So it's all softscape. So. So what else? What else can you tell us about that garden? Can you tell us anything else about it? Um, well, it, it, it's grown to a point that we actually had to get in there and do a bit of a clear out. Um, and obviously as wow. a garden um, develops and matures and that kind of thing, um, we were called back in to, you know, split irrigation zones um, just so we can create uh, an, another garden down the side. It has different watering uh, requirements than the already established garden. So that's uh, that's something that we've had to come in and do. And being a being a tropical garden, and it is a garden that um, does need that weekly maintenance and that kind of thing as well. But it, um, it's uh, it it grows so much; it needs to be redeveloped all the time. But you do have you know you do have your stayers. You've got you know very mature pandanus and uh, and a lot of heliconias and that kind of thing as well. So it's a gorgeous garden. Mm. And it's crazy that you say weekly maintenance to someone like me because, yes, in Brisbane, sometimes <laughs> you'll do a weekly mow, but very rarely have I ever worked on a property where it's weekly unless it's like an actual acreage that has like a whole heap of plants. But like tell me about like the value of being able to actually spend the time to get a job right. Um, I think I think that's the difference uh, between having you know a, a good garden and a, a great garden, like a beautiful garden. Like it is surprising the amount of green waste that the uh, the garden guys do take away from jobs every single week. So I'm always surprised when I'm there. Obviously, I'm in there to do um, some of the bigger jobs, some of the dirtier jobs, I guess yeah. you'd say. Uh, but just even on a weekly basis, you know, if we're there at the same time with them, they're always pulling things out they're always and they're and they're always advancing the garden as well so if something's not working um or it's spent um that kind of thing then they're in there and they're changing it over and topping up mulch all of those sorts of things so you know it it is the difference to have a weekly maintenance schedule on some gardens of course not all of them need them but when when you're looking at a, a tropical garden um especially like the, the leaf litter and all that sort of stuff that you can pull out the deadheading um it can easy it can easy do for a couple of hours every week that's for sure especially when your clients yeah. you know you know they they don't have the time to do that so that's why they get you in they get you in for your your expertise they get you in for their own time management and that kind of thing so Absolutely. And looking back on some of the clients that I've worked for, 
they didn't want to pay for stuff like getting rid of dead wood out of plants and especially hedges and stuff like that. Right. And then they don't want to pay for this and they don't want to pay for that. And then, so yeah, we can make it look okay, but we probably can't get it to the level that you guys are achieving. That's right. And I think that, you know, that's something that uh, Ben's obviously established with with um, our clients and, um, you know, just their individual needs for their gardens, you know, um, it's uh, I know the, the maintenance staff, for example, have some that they visit, um, you know, once a week and the client will get out there themselves. There are a lot of clients that really do enjoy their own mm. garden and that kind mm. of thing. But, you know, for example, um, this particular little tropical garden, it just needs to be maintained all the time. Um, yeah, so. I think that the mindset is a little bit different than some of the companies that I've worked in where I probably work with a lot of cowboys. Uh, they call them petrol cowboys was a term that I heard, which I really like. You know, they come in, zip around, and every second is timed. Right. It's, it's great to have the time to, to perfect your craft mm. and, you know, and have time to look at things and do them properly. And, uh, you know, if a plant is uh, yellowing, why is it yellowing? And looking at, is it getting enough water? Does it need fertilizer? Is there a pH imbalance? Uh, does it need compost? Rather than just not having the time to look at those those types of things. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really great to work for a company where you can perfect your craft and, um, and do things really, do, well, do things properly. Is, is great. I still remember Daniel one uh, one time I was interviewing uh, for a role, and the guy came in. Um, he didn't have shoes on, by the way, so he, um, he he doesn't actually have the job with us. But uh, he came in and he said, "What's my quota? How many lawns do I have to do in a day?" And yeah, it's it's not about that. It, while we do look for efficiencies, um, we 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 have you know a certain quality that we have to. Um, adhere to and and it is about perfecting these spaces that's what clients are coming to us for is for that next level of garden care um, so yeah it's something that I'm very proud to to say that we do very well the team team are amazing mm -hmm. okay so from a maintenance perspective you mentioned Dale like yellowing leaves or maybe the sparse foliage and things like that mm -hmm. um, as soon as people find a pest they usually reach for one of the chemicals. Um, is that the approach where you are now or like, what's your approach? Like, let's just say you find a pest, a, just a generic mm -hmm. pest. What's your thought process? Well, the, like the first, like I uh, always like to work by the IPM or the integrated pest management. So uh, looking at things of, you know, with a pest or a fungus or a disease, can we, can it be dealt with in a mechanical way? So, um, say you've got a whole lot of quarter lines with mealybug on them. Um, can you thin them out first? Because, you know, when, when things are too densely, uh, when there's too much dense growth, you'll get insects hiding in there. You'll get, uh, you don't have airflow, so you'll get a fungus, you'll get a fungus starting to grow. So, you know, can you, can you look at thinning branches or thinning leaves to, to stop that sort of perfect environment for pests or bugs? Um, we use a lot of um, the sort of the more organic type um, pesticides or fungicides as well. So we use, uh, we, we've got neem oil, we've got eco oil. Right. Um, I've been using a lot of beneficial bacterias to try and prevent the Phytophthora root rot on the grass trees. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so looking at things like that. Um, and yeah, so sort of going up from mechanical to those more organic ways. And then uh, as you sort of go up, sort of as you go up that tier, uh, you might eventually end up at, um, you know, a more um, stronger pesticide, uh, uh, pesticide such as um, bifenthrin or something like that. But yeah, look at those, look at those lesser sort of uh, items first that are lesser as in uh, less harmful to the environment. So yeah, look at those first and then sort of work your way up from there. Okay, I can't move on without mentioning the bacterial uh, control for uh, phytophthora there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because phytophthora is such a problem. Yeah, it is. And especially for grass trees, uh, it seems to be. So the idea is that uh, we can use the beneficial liquid bacteria. Um, you just put it in a watering can and put it around the roots and you water it in because it's a, uh, it's a living a living liquid. So uh, you've got to water that into the soil. And the idea is that the beneficial, the good bacteria, you can increase the numbers in that soil, which then will feed on the bad bacteria. Uh, that may be causing troubles with the with the plants. So mm. yeah, you're just you're increasing that biota in the soil and uh, giving the good guys uh, a bit more of a, a balance or a help along. Mm-hmm. So I guess Phytophthora being a root rot disease for people who who you know maybe you've heard the name and you don't know what it is. It's essentially just comes from wet feet, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very seems to yeah. Uh, so when you get uh, uh, especially on plants that need a lot of good drainage and they're in areas where they're not getting quite the drainage we need. It's very prevalent in the avocado industry for avocados. Um, right. But uh, yeah, we, we I, like, I mainly seem to see it on grass trees. So because they, they are a plant that requires a lot of drainage. Cool. So now I'd like to move one step up the ladder in terms of the garden. I want to now go to the construction side. So, Amanda, what do you need from the designer, and what do what do the you know what does a maintenance crew need from you? Like, what are the factors that you're coming in um, when you're design when you're constructing a landscape in terms of like the whole longevity of the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, like I said before, with um, Ben, obviously anything that comes from Ben um, comes from a background of so much experience designing gardens and building gardens. So you know, any of the design that that do come from Ben, all we really need is the plan uh, and an understanding um, first and foremost of the garden's brief. You know, so mm-hmm. what he sort of envisages for that as well, and that's pretty much all I need to. Complete my part so if I've got the plan I've got his you know um his his aspiration for what it wants to look like I can lay the foundation so if we already know the layout and the purpose um and and Ben's already taken care of that after the installation has been done um like I said before we um we track all of our progress every day photos are loaded um and that kind of thing and then what I'll usually do is I'll turn around um, any of the layout of, say, the services, uh, the establishment periods for the plants that we're putting in and those kind of things, then I'll have a conversation with Dale, who is our, our maintenance team leader, and Damien, who is our greenskeeping team leader, 
um, and uh, and any of the designated staff that are obviously associated to that job. So all we do is once we've installed it, once Ben's vision has come to life, um, we basically all catch up. We have a chat about it. You know, here here are the here's the irrigation. This is the controller. These are the these are the issues that we face with the construction. This is something that you should keep out for follow up maintenance. And um, and that's it. We just we just kind of keep in touch every time. There's I spoke to Dale today about you know. Um, it was actually that same little garden, that same little garden that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. We um, we planted a new uh, bit in it, and I was just like, you know, how's everything going with the establishment? Obviously, we're working with things like rain and um, a lot of storms and stuff at the moment, so we just keep in touch uh, with everything. So as long as I get the, the the plans from Ben, I build it, and they come. <laughs> right, and I'm sure that they're glad to have someone who actually knows what they're doing. To construct them. One would hope so. I believe they do. (laughs) Working for Yards, I think, is an absolute pleasure. Um, And I think that's for a lot of reasons. Um, Number one and first and foremost would obviously be the gardens and the environment that we work in. We work in some absolutely gorgeous gardens um, and we've got a standard um, within those gardens, which means that we can take a lot of pride in our work. Um, The beautiful thing is that everybody in the team, takes a lot of pride uh, in their work. So usually if we do catch up on site and that kind of thing, we're always having a little bit of chit-chat about, oh, did you see this and we've done this. So um, that is a a really valuable thing, I think, to keep everybody happy and enthusiastic about what we're doing. Um, Like they're a great bunch of people as well. So, you know, secondly, having the staff members that we obviously work with um, is exceptionally valued they're just they're just lovely um we get a lot of support from ben and penny um when it comes to you know um uh, hot days they will they'll always make sure that we're okay you know sometimes we get to gatorade deliveries and all those kind of things as mm. well and and ben's often um he'll he'll pass on any gratitude that we obviously receive from clients as well which i think is just is really important he'll share that feedback mm. with us um we have a really professional outfit over and over everything i think it's not just the tools it's not just the trucks and uh, we all have our own um individual uh device so um all our communication is on that there's never a point in time where you can't communicate with somebody else on your team or outside of your team your team leaders so i think that's that's really good. You never actually feel like you're on your own. You never feel like, you know, you're just kind of out there and trying to survive. You just ring somebody. So whether it's the maintenance department or the greenskeeping, or they can obviously ring us in construction as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's not only that, but I think something very special about working for yards is the fact that we're nearly, we will be, um, we have a, a, a young lady starting with us soon, um, we'll be 50% female staff so i think in a trade i think it's one it's gone from one to three three percent of women in the trades in australia Mm. so yeah we're really proud to have have half the team so yeah it's it's nice and that's a funny thing to bring up so why do you think it is that one to three percent of people in our trade are well the landscaping trade specifically i suppose because uh, obviously there's a maintenance sector too. I don't know what the statistics, if they're the same. But why do you think it is that there are so many more men than women? And what is it about yards that makes that culture? Is it a, like, is that something that they tried to do? Like, how, how does that work out? 
Um, I don't think it's just I don't think it's just the um, landscaping industry. I think obviously predominantly going back in time, women just weren't a part of the trades you know it's um it's slowly increasing and I think that even when I started um in the landscaping industry about 20 years ago um you know or putting putting my finger in the pie 20 years ago because I was never sort of raised in a sense that I was always raised you can do whatever you want but it was never really thrown at us as girls go and do a trade um, so I think the girls of this generation coming through out of high school um, and, you know, just a little bit obviously older than that, but coming through, you actually ha- you have so many more opportunities. Um, and I don't think it's a discrimination thing or anything like that. I just, I just don't believe it was sort of considered that women do it. But mm. within the landscaping industry, I've noticed over the years that obviously a lot of your more of your horticultural based, um, not, not so much construction. I've got to admit that there's not a lot of mm. women that I've come across in construction side of things, but, you know, being a horticulturalist, you know, it's still considered a trade um, and it's, you know, it can get hot and heavy, you know, um, so it can, it can be quite a challenging job as well. But I'm finding that the there's a lot more females coming into it, especially into the nursery side of things and that kind of thing as well over the years but um i think it's increasing because it was never really offered before and now it's now it's just you know we can do as much as i'll probably get in trouble for saying that (laughs) but yeah i mean we all have our limitations (laughs) but yeah i think (laughs) i think females um within the trade um are, are really a big thing and yards is proving that with yeah including including Penny um, and all of us. Um, yeah, we're, we're a good 50-50. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that women can do almost as much as men. I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> statistically, men can carry more than women, but is that all that there is to landscaping? Yes. No, no, there's not, um, of course. So I think there's, there is obviously the physical side of thing and there's essentially no denying that. Um, so, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, like I think it comes down to the individual, but the, the care that the women kind of put in, in saying that you, you cannot fault uh, any of the guys, the males mm, on the, mm. the yards team because, you know, just as much care and attention has been taken. But, you know, may, maybe um, just being involved around plants and, and that kind of thing is uh, just becoming a little bit more female orientated. I'd love to see a few more girls in construction, but it is tough, you know. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no nails. Mm. There's a lot of pebbles <laughs> and, and a lot of wheelbarrows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it is it is tough, but you know, being having an outside do- job, you know, being in a garden, being a horticulturalist, working in a nursery, being in landscape construction, like um it's it's definitely something that anybody can do. Yeah, I agree. And um you've really outlined very well the 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 care and detail. I also feel that a lot of time and yeah, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this too, but I think a lot of the time women can be very creative and not to say that men can't be creative, but, yeah, I think that that would yeah. be a strength of statistically across women that women can be very creative. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll go with very broad, broad yes. details here. But yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just a, a little bit more care with that. Um, you know, guys, mm. um, you know, will sort of almost have something to prove to finish in the wrong environment, you know. So if you sort of got them chucking plants around and that where girls kind of take a little bit more care. Uh, total generalization, but I just think I think yeah. that um, the the women's increasing in the trades as a whole is fantastic, and I think landscaping is one of the one of the trades that women can uh, can really get behind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, my wife once really like she changes my the way I see the world all the time. But one thing she once said to me: we were walking through the scrub. And then there are these, this like bracken and like some of it was like had sort of these, I don't know if they're fungal disease spots or what, like little red spots on them and some of them were just starting to die. It might have just been their time to die for the year. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all I saw was these dead ferns. And then she goes, oh, look at the pretty colours. And I was just like, wow. And I never really looked at those dead dry plants the same. It's just like they actually are very pretty. (laughs) And, you know, and and it took her to show me. They are, yeah. Yeah, no, it, and mm. it's amazing um, some of the stuff that you can learn with, with plants and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you can also crush them up and use them as a relief from insects when they're green. So. <laughs> wow. There you go. Okay, so next time you're out in the scrub, have a go at that to keep the mozzies away, hey? Yeah, find a bracken. So, Ben, what about you? From your perspective, you're trying to create a design that is easily or not necessarily easily constructed but able to be efficiently constructed. Um, It has to look awesome and it has to be maintainable. What's going through your mind when you design gardens and layouts and aspects of a garden for the rest of your team? Well, first and foremost, we're looking at, um, you know, what the client wants and and that client brief. But, you know, in terms of maintenance, you know how how do the team access the, the site for for maintenance? We have a lot of sites that that are very tricky to get into. We even have apartments that we've got to go through concierge or you know through a lift to right. to, to get to. So you know that they can be quite tricky. Um, you know, so we, we look at our processes more so for maintenance. I, I, um, I don't think we we're, we're really designing specifically for maintenance, but it's there in the back of our mind because it's it's something that. You know, we constantly taking, you know, um, you know, calls or emails from the team, you know, and 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 they, you know, they're quite open with, um, you know, making suggestions for things. So, you know, we we do take all that on board, um, and it's it's in the back of our mind, you know, when we're designing. So, um, you know, we we've got a quite a practical approach to um, our designs as well. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that, uh, without naming any names, obviously, but what are other designers and uh, landscape architects getting wrong, particularly in Brisbane, do you think? Just some general trends of what what maybe we need to be thinking more about. I'm a little bit concerned about the overuse of succulents. Um, You know, while it has been dry, they've been performing well, but, you know, I I just just worry that you know because we did see this back in two thousand and five where we went through all that that um, you know the drought and mm. uh, water restrictions and and while the those plants particularly 
did well back then. As soon as we start getting more regular water and the humidity, you know, a lot of those plants were um, <laughs> were struggling. So that's that's one thing. Um, again, you know, material selection. I think soil soil profiles are probably one that that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, mm-hmm. Something that is a real key. You know, soils and irrigation, they're, they're two of the, the key areas that we um, we won't um, deviate from. Like that's, you know, if we're going to install a garden, we have to have those mm. those items um, adhered to. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what, what people are getting wrong. I think we've got so many great, talented contractors, designers, maintenance teams in Australia, especially now, like you think back to when when I first started out and, you know, I, I kicked on in 1998 with, with my first landscaping job um, and what we're doing these days is so much more advanced. There's so many more plants and materials to, to choose from. Um, but, yeah, it's just being sensible. You know, sometimes uh, things... Don't always work, you know. New things that people try, but it's good to it's good that people are pushing the boundaries with with those. Right. So, what about you, Dale? What do you think a lot of landscapers out there are getting wrong? Whether that's from, well, actually, particularly from the maintenance perspective, I'd like to hear. Like, what are we doing mm-hmm. wrong? Uh, I think uh, sometimes, like the the best the best gardens will always be ones that have had the right plant selection. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's start there. The, yeah, <laughs> the right, the right plants in the right area, um, the right plants in the right area for that garden as well. Not only the the temperature zones, but for mm. that, you know, if they, uh, you know, if you have a, a plant that's um, that is really a shade lover, but it's put into full sun, it's it's always going to struggle, and you're yeah. always going to have problems. <laughs> Um, which can lead to a lot of more dependency on the use of pesticides and fungicides and mm-hmm. whatnot because um, you know they're getting too much they're getting too much water or um, they're not getting the morning sun and all the dew drying out on them so that they're getting like they're getting more funguses and um, different things like that um, making sure the irrigation is done really well. Um, can go a long way into into the success of a garden as well, um, and I would say too the um, giving plants, giving a garden room to grow, and giving the plants room to grow. Because um, mm-hmm. again, if we if you plant way too way too thick, again you get the plants growing into each other, and then you start getting these these hidey holes for pests, and mm-hmm. um, there's no airflow, so you get funguses and things like that. So. Yeah, that 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 would be the main the main uh, the main ideas for me. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned planting too densely. You know, we end up getting these amorphous hedges of various sizes with multitudes of species in there, which is great if that's what yeah. you want to do. I mean, you could do that and it can look cool, but um, I think a lot of the time it happens by accident because we just plant too densely, and that's what plant amnesty which is a program led by Cass Turnbull, a lady in the US who passed away, um, unfortunately. But yeah, she had a really a really good um, framework uh, for pruning. Um, and she said that the number one reason for malpruning was, over, uh, was overplanting. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, 
like a lot of the time it's done for instant effect and whatnot, but in the long run, it's, um, mm. it can, it can bring you in the trouble and, um, and, and too, when things are planted too, too close, like I used to, uh, when I had my farm and I worked at the botanic gardens, um, working in the vegetable section there, I'd always say to people, there's nothing worse than a greedy gardener because right. when you, when you try and plant it, just talking about vegetables, you try yeah. and plant too many together, <laughs> they'll never turn out. They'll never, right. you'll never get the right heads form on them and they'll never grow properly. So mm, they'll go spindly. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but uh, another thing you can do is uh, over plant and then like thin out every second or, you know, prune out every two um, or something like that, which is a cool thing, especially with veggies. That's easy to do. That's yeah, that's right. That's, that's correct. Yep. Like, yep. That's certainly one way to, to prevent it. Yeah. <laughs> so Ben, you were going to say something there. Sorry. I cut you yes, off. Yes. Sorry. No, no. Well, good. Um, you, you asked about some of the other things that we do maybe come across. Um did mention soil before but we have been finding if we're taking on new projects new clients um and we we're assessing and and doing a full audit of of a garden and why it's failed or how we can we can make it better uh a lot of things like just simple things like mulch like the way mulch is applied um we've found some real inconsistencies there and it's caused a lot of plant problems in itself as well so you know, and, and irrigation is another thing where, you know, they're trying to irrigate a whole garden just off maybe two or three zones and it doesn't allow for any expansion down the track or finer tuning as as the garden matures. So when we design and install the garden, we will break down as many of uh, aspects of the garden into various zones. So we've got better control and better efficiencies as well. Um, so that's that's an area that I think could maybe be improved in in some aspects. That you know we've you know, created a lot of work for us, but you know, just, just, <laughs> just 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 you know really thinking about that irrigation. Don't don't try and skip it and put in the smallest controller. You know go go to a bigger controller that you can you know break down. You know as the uh, microclimates come in, you know you're going to want to water your garden differently as it matures. Yeah, I mean, there's a saying: you get what you pay for. Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, and um, you know, maybe the problem isn't always like okay, we've got an irrigation system, great start, but sometimes you're better off just starting off with a good one, so you don't have to come through and you know fix up some bad irrigation installer's handiwork and um, switch over all the controls to this, that, and the other. Uh, I know very little about irrigation, but I know enough to keep my hands off it unless I'm just doing like a simple repair. And even then I have to flag it because you have to do a flush. There's just so much to it that people don't understand. Yeah. Well, when a client says, hey, we need you to come and, you know, have a look at our garden, tell us what's wrong, you know, how we can get it looking the way we wanted it to look. Yeah. And you advise them. You've got to build that trust with them because they may have had a bad experience with somebody else. Um, so you've got to build that trust. You've got to, they've got to understand that you're there for the right reasons. You've got to genuinely want to, um, you know, do really well in your, in your profession and, um, and they've got to see that as well. So, um, it's very hard to convince somebody who's just spent a hundred thousand or $500,000 on building a garden. And it's very hard to go in and say, <laughs> this, this needs to be this way. Yeah. We need to pull it out and redo it you know it, it, it's it's a difficult conversation to have mm. but it's important to 
to start off on the right foot because you're going to, you know, we are wanting to be there for a long time and, you know, we've got very long relationships. We're still um, still involved in gardens. You know, the very first garden I ever built in Brisbane, designed in Brisbane, um, you know, we're still looking after at the moment. So, you know, it's um, it's really important that, that you have that trust with the clients. Yeah, absolutely. I've got some specific questions about that later because that is such an important part of running a business and even being a good staff member is to um, maintain those relationships with the clients. But first I wanted to ask you, Amanda, what are some examples of things that you've come in and rejigged so that the garden will be more successful from a construction perspective? Because as Ben mentioned there, sometimes you do have to tell the client, look, I know you spent a lot of money, but we need to spend some more and get this right now. I guess rejigging, rejigging an established garden. Um, so if it's been designed and installed um, by another landscaping company and or designer, of course, um, as that garden has uh, obviously developed, rejigging is when that comes in. Obviously, you wouldn't take a perfectly working garden uh, mm. and rejig anything. So that's that's where we come into it, um, I guess. So the number one rejigging, uh, I guess, that we do at the moment would be things like any of the irrigation needs that need to be changed, um, any of the trees that may have matured in the wrong way, in the wrong place, um, bit through neglect or lack of maintenance. Um, so upgrading, I guess, especially in Brisbane, um, is really important. Um, when you're taking over a garden that's been inside and installed, you've got to look at the plant selection. So that's a really big thing for the maintenance guys. Um, you know, they're very passionate about making sure that the right plants work in the right space. Um, so that's another rejigging. So basically, um, you know, taking out the old, putting in the new. Um, um, we we did actually have to rejig a garden uh, edge recently it was a rather interesting plastic installation um and in doing that when the original garden was obviously installed there'd been a lot of sinkage in the lawn areas as well so um the, the drainage wasn't working as well um so just over time as these things compact and sink and do all that then you know we needed to come in we need to add it in additional drainage, mm. we need to raise the the turf. Like so, that involves cultivating the entire area, and we're cultivating sometimes 100 and 150 mil deep, and then we're obviously importing um, all new un, under turf uh, soil and new turf and things like that. So, I think um, garden lighting is also a really good one to create a garden I think garden lighting um, makes the world of difference uh, in a garden especially in in Queensland when you have that outdoor lifestyle um, in the evening in summer um, so to, to have your entire life your entire backyard up it just sort of creates a an outdoor space that you can go and use Totally. Yeah. Lighting is a big one, isn't it? Especially at night, as you say, obviously at night. Um, but I think also, like, what about mistakes that other landscapers have made? Like, do you get a lot of that? Um, not so much mistakes. I think the number one thing is obviously um, poor plant choice, plant selection, Um Right. You get some interesting ones, <laughs> you know, you just sort of, <laughs> you'll get a, a very, uh, you know, you'll just get a mix match of, of natives um, and, you know, 
um, exotics that just don't work in those spaces. So um, when it comes to to hardscape, I don't think what we obviously try and do if we are taking over um, a garden or rejigging a garden and you actually have a lot of hardscape around, um, I'm talking a path like permanent hardscape, like your, your pathways and your, you know, your footing, like anything around the houses and that kind of thing, retaining walls, et cetera. We don't go into that so much, uh, but you can always add on to these things. You can hide things that don't actually look attractive. And like I said, the number one thing with the plant choice, you just yoink them all out and you put the right ones in. Mm-hmm. Right. With with that, that lighting, it is probably the most... Well, plants are addictive for clients, but mm. garden lighting is one of those things right. where I guarantee whatever we put in, they want more. Uh-huh. So we just, Amanda was just involved in a project where, you know, we, we did all the lighting. Was that last year, Amanda? Or the, I can't remember if it was a year before, but, and then we've just gone back and installed another 20 odd lights or 25 lights to, um, to highlight the front of the garden. You know, it's something that people just, just love. And when you do it right and you've got the right lights from the right suppliers and you know that they're, you know, quality lights that are going to last and, and give you the effect that you want, um, you know, there's a lot of times where we, we go in and people say, oh, they're unhappy with their lights. But, you know, you have a, you go down over over night time and, you know, these things are throwing half a metre off the ground and they, they want them to perform, you know, to the top of the tree and that could be, you know, 10, 20, 30 metres high. So, mm. yeah, it's about knowing what works. And um, <laughs> but, but then, you know, when a client rings up or you get an email and they say, oh, look, Whatever you put in, let's just double it. You know, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what else have we missed in terms of what landscapers are getting wrong or whether it's maintenance, design, construction, what is the scene in Brisbane lacking? For anyone who wants to answer it. What is the scene lacking in Brisbane? Um, I think for me having... Um, sort of worked in the industry for a, a short period of t- a reasonably long period of time, I guess. Seeing it develop um, over the years, you've really seen the difference between um, I think what we referred to as your mullen blows um, mm. and then obviously your, your your landscaping. There's a lot of mullen blow guys out there calling themselves um, landscapers and I think that's fantastic. But when it comes to... Um, a lot of your, you know, your, your accredited, your registered um, landscapers and that kind of thing. I think just a, um, uh, like a, a universal standard. Um, so, you know, not everybody is going to be in one particular budget. Um, some are going to be very, very low and some are going to be very, very high. Uh, but I think just weeding out a lot of the, um, a lot of cowboys in the industry would Mm. be nice to just keep that, you know, once you're burnt by something, if you had somebody come in into your backyard and you're like, oh, you know, my friend said I should get landscaping done, it would be great, you know, I've got this guy, he's coming in and they totally balls it up, Um, you're kind of burnt, you know, and and negative negative talk just flows. So that's not what we need in the industry. We we want people to be like, yeah, landscaping is an asset. Landscaping is a a financial investment, you know, and and landscaping is of a certain standard. Like we do obviously have with the construction side of things, 
um, the, the QPCC regulations. So we are really, really lucky there. But just making sure that that's sound all, all the time. Mm. Um, I think with maintenance and that kind of thing, you know, it's like you said before, there's people that just want you to come in and just do a little, just, just a stay on top kind of job as well. Mm. But, um, yeah, I guess just a, you know, just kind of getting a, a bit of a standard within the industry that sort of means that we don't have these these uh, people who are going out and, you know, giving us a bad name. Mm-hmm. And just knowledge. Just knowledge to Daniel on things that um, on things that say just for example that can be hedged and what can't be hedged. I saw the other day at a commercial site someone had hedged ginger. Yes, <laughs> actually ran and the the leaves were shredded. Absolutely, oh, no. it was a mess. Um, I saw at tambourine someone had cut a bird a bird of paradise uh, at about waist height and yeah. just stump the whole thing so was that the giant one or the small one that was a small one yeah oh, i saw a giant one recently that they'd hedge pruned it just topped it just topped them all off at the same height oh no how was, how like was the- that palm how was that that alex palm that we saw the other day daniel that um you know they'd left a you know probably about two meters oh, tall yeah. the top was just completely gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah they just like pruned it off i guess they thought that it would grow back from the point that they'd pruned it um but yeah, yeah it's yeah. pretty basic horticulture to understand that palms won't do that no <laughs> yeah <laughs> so basically what i'm hearing is that the the what we need to improve is everything yes <laughs> <laughs> It, I think it's just keeping just keeping a, a quality standard just to how can I have that sorry Daniel how can I put this I don't want to poo-poo the industry like landscaping has come leaps and bounds it really has you know um, once upon a time it was like oh landscaping you just mean gardening and then mm. landscaping has has transformed into a trade um, and it's a structural trade and it's you know it is one of the hardest physical trades out there so um, you know I think I'm I I love where the landscaping industry is going. I think it is definitely heading north. I don't think that I can even really say anything negative about it. It's just kind of making sure that mm. we all keep keep everything to a standard that, you know, we don't we don't have these people going out there who um, aren't qualified, aren't certified, aren't experienced and, uh, you know, doing a bad job and bringing the standard down. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so... We need to be taking horticulture seriously. It's not just like a chore to get done. It's actually something that increases property value. It's something that we know Mm. is good for our hearts. It's good for our minds. It's good for our bodies. You know, especially in Queensland, like we have an outdoor lifestyle and I think, you know, it's really, I know me personally um, with my 12-year-old, it's it's difficult sometimes to get him off the Xbox or the device of some sort and uh, <laughs> getting getting them mm. outside um, is, uh, is, is a number one thing. So I think um, creating that environment is a really big thing for, for, for Queensland anyway and I think even Australia-wide. Well, I mean, a lot of other industries have standards. I just don't understand why we don't have those standards. Well, we do have a QPCC regulation. Yeah, but anyone can just turn up to a garden. and I mean, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have mower men, you know, or, or you know, um, just kids mowing lawns and getting paid for that. I, I think that that's great. 
But um, and I don't know what the answer is whether because because I mean we may have standards there and that and that may apply for construction. I mean that probably applies for construction a lot more than it does for maintenance, mm. uh, unless you're talking mm. about arboriculture where they do right. have a lot more mm. laws. Um, mm. But I think also, what about just treating the garden as an ecosystem as well? I just don't think that that has been thought about up until recently as a priority. And I feel like now people are at least talking about that a little bit more. Oh, it's, a, it's you know, a conversation that we have with almost every client. We've, you know, right. Everybody's asking about bees. Like how, how many native beehives have we installed? And <laughs> we've got, you know, we've got um, Lara who looks after a client's beehive collects honey, like they're happy for us to to look after these aspects and they, they get the benefit from it and, you know, they know that they're, you know, they, they get this feeling of that they're doing the right thing, you know, and, um, yeah, it's it's great that they're aware of it. So, you know, mm-hmm. years and years ago probably wouldn't have had as much interest, but mm-hmm. now we've got this, you know, it, nearly every client, you, you probably come across it too, Dale, with... Um, you know, talking to, to every client. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, people um, people definitely wanting to uh, have more, um, uh, much more of a natural uh, style in their garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also comes back to as well with the, uh, the ecosystem under the ground too. Like there's that saying of feed the soil, not the plant. Mm. Um, and I'm, you know. That, that also goes to um, some sites, like a lot of the sites that we, we look after, they have uh, productive gardens and, you know, you look after a commercial site, Dale, where, you know, that has been integrated into, um, you know, communicating with staff and, you know, harvesting produce for them, putting it in their kitchen. Yep. You know, it's, it's this really good connection that we, we have through, you know, either growing plants or through, awareness for the environment, I just think it's it's amazing. You know, it's, you know when clients are, are interested and invested in, in the garden at that level, um, you know, you really do feel um, feel valued and, um, you know, that, that what we do is has purpose. Yeah. I think that the main problem is in our industry that there's um, – it somehow seems like staff feel like they can't find an awesome job and also employers can't find awesome staff. And I don't know how those two things can be true, but they are. And I think from a staff's perspective, it's really hard to find a really good company who really values horticulture. You know, like we, we go through all these different companies that maybe mow blow and go, particularly in maintenance or landscape companies where you're just doing um, a little bit of developer's garnish, as they say, you know, like a, a box hedge and some turf or something like that. And it, it doesn't exactly inspire. Um, so like, what would you say to anyone in Brisbane who's like looking for a job? And I know that it's a bit contrived because you guys are here with your boss, but (laughs) 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 what would you say to that? I'd like to open the floor. Yeah. Um, I mean, Daniel, I can, um, I can honestly say that Yards has been a great company for, to, uh, for me to work, um, with and for. Um, I've developed, I said to Ben the other day, I've developed more as a horticulturalist um, than I have in other jobs. And um, 
you know having having the time to perfect your craft at those jobs is great where you're not you're not clock watching all the time to try and get out of there straight away <laughs> we've all um, been there and even in horticulture there's jobs that are like that yeah that's right that's right um and you know at at, at yards i feel really valued um i get a lot of uh, positive feedback which i've not had at um other jobs um, and you know to feel to feel valued and to feel uh, and to, to feel as an important part of the team um, is great. It's really great. Um, mm-hmm. And you know Ben and Penny have been really uh, really supportive. Um, you know they give back to their staff as well. We've had a, we've had a lot of wonderful um, Christmas uh, Christmas parties at the end of the year. Um, and um, yeah, I've I've in, I've enjoyed it and. I, I would thoroughly recommend it, um, and that's that's you know that's very honestly speaking. Mm-hmm. In other, another way to word it is that saying that you know if they say if you do a fast job, it's not usually a good job, and if you want a good job, it's not usually mm. fast. So or, ha- or however mm. it goes, very loosely, of course. Um, but I guess our clients have uh, and expect um, a, a level of quality finish. Um, from yards, so when it comes to the construction, I guess um, you know it's it's really important to take the time to line things up, to make sure your specs are okay, to you know make sure your levels are perfect and that sort of stuff, because it is really laying the foundation for then obviously what the maintenance crew come in and do, and having the time to individually go. Do you know, like if you went into a garden and you sort of started at one end. And you raced all the way through to the other other end without just individually, like the guys have got the time to to really make their way through the garden. So nothing is generally missed, um, mm. and you know, so it's uh, it's the same with the um, with the greenskeeping team as well. You know, if you if you take the the time to deliver it. Um, without the stress of having those time frames, um, then I think it makes for um, a much realistic um, process for the guys to to achieve that high presentation. Mm-hmm. I think yards would be uh, one, of, particularly for somebody who is um, passionate about horticulture. So you know, if if you're not willing to work in the rain, there are actually companies that will put down tools in the rain, and and I'm not even saying that as like one is better than the other. I think that there's always the right person to work at the right job. Well, mm. a lot of the time, anyway. There yeah. are there are people who are just completely unhireable, and there are jobs that are, that nobody should ever apply to. But in general, um, whether you're looking for the petrol cowboy type of a job there are a lot of people out there who just want that uh, they want to smoke a cigarette and um you know throw a mower around a yard and have a laugh at lunchtime and that's great um but then there are the real diehards who really love their horticulture and i don't think that those jobs are easy to find are they ben no no well and you've got you know people like dale and amanda or anyone of our team who will always roll their sleeves up and just get stuck in. It doesn't matter if it's raining or, mm. you know, Amanda, Amanda pouring concrete around a pool surrounded up the coast on a Friday night, you know. Like everyone everyone does the hard yards, you know. They they all they all put in, even my wife, Penny. I mean, one day she'll be, be dressed up and, and being a, you know, behind the computer or dealing with clients. The next day she'll be rolling up her sleeves, putting on a, you know, 
steel cap boots, jumping in the truck and, and delivering stuff out to the team or doing a lawn renovation or, you know, it's just it's just what, what we do. It's such, such a diverse um, list of jobs that, that, that we get to do. There's something special about these jobs, isn't there? When the whole team works together, um, you know, I think there are um, larger companies are really good for a lot of things. Okay. So like, let's say you have um, dreams of being a manager. Well, it's really hard to get a manager job um, beyond like operations manager. Well, I guess operations manager of like um, 20 people. Um, Mm. It's really hard to get a job where you're like CEO of a company or something or manager of 20 people or more in a smaller company. But I think, in larger companies, it's really rare, and I'm sure that there are companies out there, and I've and I've worked for some really great big companies, but I think there's something special about working for a smaller company um, that everyone really gets along and everyone respects each other. And um, I don't want to say you don't accept the riffraff, but at the end of the day, workplace culture is a real thing, and whether people just don't last because they get fired or because they just can't li- hack it or they can't live up to it, at the end of the day, I think when you run a company really well, um, the team is its a very special part of working for a small company. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, we've, we've always said, for as long as I can remember, we don't want to be the biggest but we do want to be giving our best and doing our best. We want to create a platform. When I first started, I worked on some amazing projects in around Sydney, um, but I also worked for some great people who um, took time to um, show you how things um, come together. You know, it's it's, and that's what I wanted to be able to provide was a platform where everybody can do their absolute best, can be their best. You know, I always wanted to you know, perfect gardens and I, I had so many restrictions with equipment that we had to use, you know, that was substandard or, you know, time restraints or, you know, there's so, so many things. So I, I think we've done a pretty good job um, at being able to create this platform um, and I'm so proud of, you know, the the team that we have. You know, they're, yeah, every day they just surprise me with something new. So, so Ben, you and I have had um, a number of discussions uh, we met in Cairns at the Australian Institute of Horticulture's conference this year, and yeah. we also uh, shared a couple of beers at the at the at the boat club the other day. Um, yes. Something that really came up for me was um, just this idea of um, like you constantly helping staff upskill, progress. Um, one thing was you shared the podcast with them, which I think is really smart. Some there are not always you can listen to the. Um, podcast when you're doing stuff um if it's something dangerous like roadside whippersnipping maybe just keep the headphones out <laughs> but it, but if it's like you know pruning a rose or something like that i think that that's an excellent place to upskill but you were talking about some programs that you run like getting a snake wrangler out to have a talk to the team can you tell us about that mate yeah so we meet every the whole team meets every two months and we, we do an all in staff meeting uh, we try and get somebody in to talk at, at those uh, meetings. And one of the recent ones was the Snake Awareness Program. Uh, we did it many years ago and it was it was good. But this latest one actually happened while I was in Cairns with you. And I, I managed to call in with the team and, and hear what, uh, what was going on and get all the photos and video updates. Um, but it, it's not about trying to, you know, for the team to, to handle snakes and capture them and, you know, um, 
say crikey and all, all the rest of it. It is purely, <laughs> purely, you know, an awareness thing. A lot of people freak out when they see a snake for the first time. Yeah. And we have seen more and more snakes this year uh, than we have ever, any other year. So, you know, people do, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the counselling end of the phone calls when people have seen snakes. So it's about building their confidence so that if they do a sn- see a snake, they can, you know, stay calm, continue on with their day. If, if the worst case scenario was to happen and they were to get bitten, then they know the first aid, the correct first aid, direct from a, um, uh, a snake catcher, you know, who, who brought all these snakes in, um, set them all up in a, in a snake pit. Um, you know, I, I learned something when I did my first one, and, and that was, you know, when you go to pick up, say, a, a piece of timber or a sheet of tin, you know, that you, which way you lift it up because, you know, that, that could be the difference between a snake jumping away from you or a snake jumping at you. Can you, so, sorry, before we move on, can you please expand on that for us? Ah, so, so yeah, if you, if you come across a, a sheet of tin on the ground, and, you know, your initial reaction is to grab the edge that's closest to you and lift it up. Mm-hmm. And what could be there? Um, <laughs> an agitated snake, you know, whereas if you grab the, the far end of it and lift it up so that the, the sheet of tin comes um, up, up, up to you, but, you know, its its escape path is to get away from you, you know, that, I think that's a great idea. And I, I never even never even crossed my mind until um, um, the guy who did the snake, the original, our first one, um, showed us. But, you know, also the fact that, you know, when you do come across a snake, um, you know, you don't know whether one is venomous or or not. So, you know, treat treat them all as dangerous, but don't don't try and uh, be a hero, you know, just... You know, alert others of, of what's around. You know, we alert alert the homeowner or the the client, and uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I think everybody got something out of that, even if it was just building their confidence. I know my wife. You know, years ago, she she would not even go anywhere near a snake pit. You know, to watch a snake show, and now she's got the confidence right. to to. Uh, you were carrying the box of that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right with the snakes in it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So, so, I mean, that and then one of the most recent ones that we did, we only did it, was it last week, guys, where we um, we had Lynn Watts from yep. Hunter yep. came in. We sat down in the boardroom. Uh, she ran through. We did some HydroWise training. So HydroWise is a platform that we use to manage all of our clients' irrigation systems. Um, I learned, we've been using it for years, but I still learned new aspects to this. And, and it's about finding the most efficient ways and savings for our clients. And, you know, they... These, these systems just, they, they, even today, you know, we, we were able to log on remotely, adjust the client's irrigation system, see if it ran, <laughs> yeah. find, find out if, so we can actually find out, we get alerts from this system if there's faults with the irrigation system before we even get to site. So we, we can be prepared for what um, what may, may lie ahead. So, yeah, there's, there's so many things that we try to do with the team. Next year we want to do some um, some talks with um, fertilizer suppliers, you know, so the guys can get latest and greatest information on on various fertilizers and soils, and yeah, so it's, I think it's something that you know is easily um, achievable for for any company to to set some time aside and and do this. You know, we used to do some in house training where 
Um, one of our guys was really good at garden lighting. He, you know, and everybody else wanted to learn. So we we did a nighttime session, and you know, everyone came in, and you know, we gave them the background. So yeah, there's in in-house training. There's there's also the external um, people that, that come in and and help out too. A few of us had the opportunity to uh, go and complete a day's train chainsaw training. Um, so we could go and uh, we can go and grab our certificates for those. So anybody that was interested in that, and I think about half of a half a dozen of us went and did that. So that was a great day out. We learned all the different sorts of cuts um, and bits and pieces that we could do there. And it's really good. It's it's good in the sense that um, you know we've got coming upcoming. I think we have a uh, first aid. Uh, training coming up I'm not sure what's down the down the track from there but um, it's great to just be able to get together to learn something new and uh, I think that's the biggest benefit is you're always learning so so I think that that's one thing that um, as well about you know I, I can think back on my career and, and I can remember I'm sure there were years when I didn't learn anything after I mastered the the basics of like hedging whippersnipping <laughs> mowing um, and how to spray and maybe a few other things. And um, maybe I was learning a little bit on the way, but I'm sure that there were at least two or three years when I didn't learn a single thing throughout that whole year in the garden. Maybe I was focusing on helping my wife build her business during those times. Maybe I was um, doing other things, but at the end of the day, like, I think, I just think like, wow, that's so sad. Like I could have been working for a company where they were actually teaching me things every day. Um, so, so Ben, tell me, let's say someone comes into the company, do they have to know everything straight away? Or are you going to have team members that can teach these people um, how to perform at the level that you need? Yeah, no, no, we, we have, um, uh, you know, we would prefer if people have got some understanding and, and, qualification in horticulture or landscaping or greenkeeping, whatever the, the field is that they're, they're going to be working in, um, you know, some, some discipline. But, you know, we we will always do some training the day that they start. So we, we do a full day training before they start. Then they go off and work with Dale and they'll work under Dale until they've got their confidence up to, you know, I'm not going to just send anybody out to to an existing client. You know, we, we want them to know what our, where our benchmark is and and the level of service that they need to be providing. So so Dale is that um, that conduit to to help help with the, the training uh, when it comes to horticulture and um, you know just sharing as much information. Like we've got various apps that we use to share information and people can access. You know they can read up on it. Like like you said, I you know shared your podcast, but you know when I came back from the, the conference in Cairns. Um, you know, that was the first thing I did. All those amazing speakers, you know, and, and Dr. Ian Smith's talk about, you know, um, pests and, you know, KFC and, you know, <laughs> yeah. all, those, all those things, <laughs> I, I wrote down and I, it was as soon as I drove back, because I drove back from Cairns, and I, I sat, the first thing I did, jumped on my computer and, and sent it all out to the team and with links so that they, they could see exactly what, what I've, you know, done and, and had access to those those people as well so um the guys have been madly listening to podcasts and you know it's been great well ian is a repeat offender on this podcast so yes. you will find him <laughs> pop up from time to time in the back catalog even when we did that drive you know we, we went to cairns botanic gardens and did the tour of cairns botanic gardens and i, I really felt for the uh 
the the volunteer who was taking a, a, a group from because Mark Ball, uh, yeah, yeah, it knew every single plant and was able to yeah. you know. And then we, you know, I think you, Jason Summers, and Peter Donegan jumped in my car. We drove back, and you know, it, it was just a a great experience learning, you know, more about our industry. So you know, to be able to share stuff with our team, yeah, um, is so vital, you know. Mate, absolutely. And these networking events, as many people who can come along to them from the team as well. Um, yeah. I know that it's hard when it's like, I mean, in Australia, we have our states of the size of other countries. So yeah. even though it's in the same state, it's a, I think it's a two-day drive up to Cairns or it's a yeah. two-hour flight and it's it's hard to justify. But even having at least one member from the team go there and then bring the knowledge back is absolutely. so valuable. So what have we neglected to mention here today in terms of um, just, I guess the topic is like landscape excellence. Like what 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 have we failed to talk about that would just be like such an obvious example of horticultural and landscape excellence? And I'd like to open the floor now. The the equipment that we get to use is the best. Like Ben, Ben, Ben only buys the best. And what um, a difference. And we've all worked for a company where the mower wouldn't start and the whippersnipper <laughs> head was, um, I don't know, maybe it just didn't feed out the cord at the right time. Like, uh, what a difference, mate. Exactly, you know, and we're using some, uh, you know, Ben's invested in a lot of the plank uh, battery hedges and blowers and mowers and, yeah. uh, you know, the quality of them is fantastic and, um, and the clients love it too because it's so much quieter. Um, but, you know, like to have... To have really good hedges that give a great professional neat cut is is, is a big advantage. And um, well, there's yeah, uh, those mowers. I was talking to Damien uh, when we first, you know, going back a couple of years ago, we you know, got our first plank mower, and he was just surprised. Uh, you know, these these are we've got two greenkeepers that have been on golf course, working on golf courses around the world, and then for them to have a push mower or a self propelled mower. Um, where the bat, you know, it's runs runs on battery, so less fatigue, less noise. But then they're getting a week in winter time. They're getting a week off a of battery. You what? Know, or in su- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And and in summer, so, what, so in summer, it, and this is the greenkeeping team that like that. This is what they yeah, focus we've got, on. We've got two of the Palank mowers, and but there've been days um, I've fueled up the machine. You know, I'm yes. sure it's more than three times. Like well, in winter, once. A week and in summer wow. they they're getting they have to charge twice a week, which is, is nothing, you know? It's um yeah. so yeah, so some 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 improvements um, you know, with technology. I mean we always have had battery operated gear with the landscape side of things. Um, but now we really feel that technology has kicked in with um, with the maintenance side, you know, yep. and, and the noise factor, you know, a lot of clients working from home. Um you know, just just really appreciate that that investment that we do make. Um, but the, the team team love it too. Yeah. Uh-huh. I actually remember that question, Dale. Um, ben said before that he sends the staff to you to basically help them to hit the ground running. And I'd yeah. like to know not not just what one person didn't know, not just what two people didn't know, but what are some of the knowledge gaps that you're finding consistently that working at yards can help people to understand. Uh, I suppose in, um, some of the biggest knowledge gaps would probably be the for, for new people coming on would be the pest and disease management. 
Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just identifying, like when we get new people that have just started, identifying pests and disease and the, the, the best products to use for those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for as, as long as people have the, uh, the work ethic and the passion, um, everything else sort of um, seems to fall into place, um, and I mean everyone's you know like everyone is 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 different as far as uh, knowledge gaps uh, go. Uh, some people might need a little bit more um, fine tuning on hedging. Others are like I say, pest and disease management. Um, some could be pruning. Just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it just depends on the individual, really. Totally. Uh, yeah, and as we all know, garden maintenance pruning is simply just hedge pruning. For all plants, yeah, that's that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so at the end of the, every episode, I always like to ask guests one final question. It doesn't have to be on topic. It can be uh, about uh, you can plug a product or service. You can talk about what you did on the weekend. It can basically be anything. It can also be about something that we've failed to talk about in this episode that we should have mentioned. Or it could be a change that you'd like to advocate in the world. It can be. It's very open-ended. Can I say something that I would, you know, something I'm very much looking forward to for next year? Of course. So in Cairns um, for the AIH conference, um, on my way up, I did listen to your podcast and I heard Peter Donegan talk and I thought, wouldn't it be great to get five minutes of his time just to pick his brain? Little did I know that, by the end of the ARH conference, we'd have spent, you know, each day and each night having a chat and uh, yeah, really got along with the guy. He's an absolute um, talented human being. Um, totally. Completely he, and you, agree. You, know, you and I, I don't want to go over what you've already talked about with him on previous podcasts, but uh, he did ask if we would be interested in um, helping uh, with next year's Mifcus, uh, with his collaboration, you know, with his collaboration with Martin Semkin, um, and I didn't think twice. I just went absolutely, put my hand up, said, "We would love to be part of that." Of course. So we've we've got Amanda <laughs> and Dale, who Amanda and Dale, who, who we've been chatting with, uh, but also our landscape architect George, uh, who's been with me for many many years um, and works in the background. Uh, they're going to go down in March and assist with this incredible story, another beautiful story. Um, and it is a story too. It's oh, interesting that you use that word. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Like the the talent and the, the passion that Peter talked about at the conference, um, on your podcast, you know, um, you know when we have catch-ups, um, you know, by video link, you know, he's just so um, in, into what he does, you know, and he's so good at telling that story. So um, the guys have met met with Peter. We're, we're actually having um, a catch-up with, with Martin Semkin this week. You know, he's, he's just, again, you know, one of those contractors who is – he's been involved in so many show gardens uh, from Melbourne to Chelsea. Um, so yeah, we get to we get to see what what it's like to put a show garden together. We don't get that opportunity really here in, in Queensland on the same scale that that they do in, in Victoria. So that's something that that we're super excited to be part of. Um, and 
Yeah, and, and if, if I could also just touch on another another area um, that is um, how important industry associations are. Oh, I know you're, yeah. I know you're an advocate yeah. for, um, you know, and part of the ARH. Um, so I, the ARH is one of the very first associations that I, I joined when I first started my business and I was encouraged by some, some local Queensland members uh, and have, have always been involved. But, you know, this latest conference was a real kick up the bum to me. It, you know, it's it's got me excited again about being involved in these industry associations. So I'm a member of AIH, uh, the Australian Institute of Horticulture, Landscape Queensland and also um, the Landscape Design Institute. And they all play such important roles in networking, um, you know, getting to meet so many amazing people who really do look at setting the benchmark in our industry. Um, you've got the likes of an Irish, Alan Burnell, um, you know, Paul Plant, Nano King, you know, in, in, in the ARH alone. Um, it's just so, so many, you know, and from, from all around the country. So I am... You know, in, in terms of advice to anybody who's starting out or has been in the industry, join an industry association. There is so much support, um, you know, um, at, at these events. A really good opportunity. Oh, Matt, I couldn't agree more. My mentor, Karen Smith, who's the editor for the Hort Journal, told me this yep. a couple of years ago. She said, become a, a member of these organisations. And, well, who who would have guessed? Suddenly I'm in the same rooms as all the people you're talking about. It's like yeah. we, we all sort of get together and we all get to talking to each other. We all form these relationships. And then next thing you know, we're collaborating with each other on various yeah. projects. <laughs> like who would have guessed it? It's yeah. like... Um, there's this idea of like the boys club or whatever. It's not like nah, that at all. Nah. It, what it is, is that we all form connections with each other because we're all interested in what each other are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Every single guest speaker at, uh, at Cairns was so relevant and I could um, just relate to every single one of them and, and how it works with our business, um, you know, and, and, and the passion, that, that, that drive for, for what they're doing. And how they go about doing it, you know, Jason. How awesome is Jason with his trees? You know, I'd, I'd love to go and see what he does in uh, when we go down to Victoria oh, mate. next year. You really missed out on a great talk last year. You weren't there in Melbourne, were you? No, you no, missed it. No. He had the most amazing talk about his experiences over in Canada, and yeah. um, you know, putting tree pits into uh, rooftop gardens, and oh, it was so incredible. Yeah, one of the key yeah. takeaways, and I can't move on from mentioning that. I can't move on without mentioning this is that he said tree trenches are more effective than tree pits. And the reason mm. why is that trees that share the same root volume, you get more bang for buck because yep. yeah, when they're sharing the volume, they get the stabilization, they can share nutrients and a whole bunch of other benefits. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Amazing amount of knowledge amongst all these people, you know, the, the, the older fellows in the industry mm. right through to the, the new um, committee, you know, the younger mm. committee members as well. It's just yeah. everyone's got a, you know, t Tyler, you know, I got to meet Tyler and have a great chat with him. You know, so many, so, so much experience, you know. Totally. And I, I mean, I'm so glad that you brought up the Future Voices Council. That's it's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's just like incredible that, um, and that was actually Alan Burnell's initiative to, 
it was his idea to bring in some um just some new ideas and some new people and and I think it's really paying off like that it's just so much energy in the council it's so exciting and I'm so happy yeah. to be connected with so many great people yeah and and again for those people you know starting out or like you know Kat who just recently joined us you know she she comes from an a, a naval engineering background <laughs> yeah. and just has this passion for horticulture you know, so if people are thinking about, you know, oh, is it, have I left it too late? You know, so, so many people do do change. You know, if if people are super passionate about plants and and the outdoors, I couldn't think of a better better industry to be in. I'd also like to give a shout out to Kat because um, she she uh, messaged me about the podcast um, before yeah. we either of us knew that you were coming on the podcast today. So that was, there a, you go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a small world, yeah. isn't it? Oh, so small. That's even getting to, to meet, uh, Peter Donigan and we're talking and, you know, he's on a very small Island. We're on a very big Island and that connection, you know, with suppliers that he knows the suppliers that we deal with and, yeah. you know, and people in the industry that, that we deal with it's just yeah mm. the world is a very small place yeah that's exactly right so amanda is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about yes yes uh, so you've spoken about the donegan's 2024 design yeah we know all about the plane we know all about the story it's going to be really <laughs> exciting to see how it plays out because obviously it sounds so much larger than life it does. It does. So uh, knowing about the plane, I have to say that uh, while I've installed quite a few different hardscape materials, I have never installed a plane. Uh, never. So I'm very excited. Never. Never, surprisingly. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm really excited. And it, honestly, it, it is such a moving story um, behind the design. I just think it's, uh, you know, it is a great stage for the Australian landscaping industry and we get a little bit of a spotlight on a Brisbane crew coming mm-hmm. down for the international show. So, Yeah, it's a beautiful industry and it's a beautiful company within the industry. At least that's the impression that I get just from everyone who I've talked to and um, Kat, I know that Cat speaks the world of the company <laughs> and of you as well, yeah. Ben. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's she's, great. Um, she's... I've just sort of uh, finished the training there with Kat, and she she is a great horticulturist. She is um, she's going to be something special, really, really good. Actually, Dale, I'd like to ask you, what is it that like makes a great coworker? Like, um, I know that not everyone can be, you know, not everyone can get along with each other, and sometimes you just have to work with people and get through the day, and that's fine. That is what it is. But what is it from your perspective that makes a great coworker? I think people people who are willing to um, help their colleagues out, you wow. know, like you, you're finished at the at the end of the day, uh, you're both tired, um, and it's just that that team member that can see that you've got a lot of equipment to put away and to pack your truck up, and they'll come and help you. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, or we've got another team member, uh, David. Um, I've seen him at the end of the day at the tip. Uh, and he's unloaded all his green waste and can go home, but he's looked over and he's seen me halfway through and he'll come over and help me unload the green waste off my truck, you know. Yeah. Um, it's that sort of stuff when um, people are just willing to go the extra mile to help out their own team. 
I think that that is the perfect answer. What do you think, Amanda? Is there anything else that a really good co-worker does well? Yeah, I think that is absolutely, um, the, for me, uh, the number one. So obviously working with Mark, um, we come from different construction backgrounds. So, you know, as, we, as, as we're going along and, and, and every, every, day, every day, it doesn't matter, I guess, how long you work with somebody, you'll figure out somebody's strengths and weaknesses. So within an individual task, just an overall. So um, I think that that is... Um, that is a, a thing that we do really, really well at Yards. You know, we all have an understanding that we can we can turn to the different, um, I was going to say departments. I don't know. You can turn to the individual <laughs> maintenance guys or the greenskeeping guys or what have you. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, we can all... Mm-hmm. We can all rely on each other. I, I, I often, I am very often, um, you know, calling Dale about, you know, I might be in a garden and I'll see something and I'll be like, you know, you know, is this a pest um, or, you know, what sort of disease mm-hmm. is this? What do you think is happening with this? Because I'm there on the project, um, you know, and it's just some of the, just some of the things that we take care of anyway. You're not just there installing, you know, a new part of a garden or a new garden. You're also looking around and seeing what you can do with the existing garden. So I'm always, um, you know, on the phone sort of asking questions in that sense Mm -hmm. as well. So I think um, knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and communicating is, uh, is key for me. And I think we all do that really, really well at Yards. Totally. And sometimes I'm wrong and I have to realize that I'm wrong yeah. and I've done it wrong for the last 10 years. <laughs> I've done exactly. that wrong. It's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much for a great chat. This was an awesome episode. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you, thank Daniel. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been amazing, Daniel. It's been great to meet you recently and all of our catch-ups. Yeah, absolutely yeah, it's been fun, mate. Incredible. Hopefully we can uh, do another couple of episodes because I think we've got a lot more to dig into. I've, I didn't get to all the questions and I'm just, the more we talk, I'm just thinking there are so many more topics that we could talk about. Whenever you need help, mate, just sing out. We're here. Whether you're actively looking for a job or you're pretty comfortable where you are, you should always keep an open mind. After more than a decade in this game, believe me when I say that companies like Yards don't come along every day. If you're a real lover of horticulture and you feel like you've gone as far as you possibly can in your current job, check the show notes for a link to see a job description on Hort People. Remember, you don't have to hate your job in order to make a change. If you're waiting for a sign to fall out of heaven, you might miss that sign and then look around in five years and find yourself in exactly the same position that you're in right now.